Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast series. This is the kickoff episode for season six, and we are pleased to be back as it means someone is listening. And Softcat and I want to take this opportunity to thank you all for listening and the continued support into 2023. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I'll introduce today's topic. Predict your tech for 2023, or as previously known, Softcat's tech predictions. If my attempt to jazz up the title is not enough, our panel will hit the right notes to predict some of the key areas to look out for in 2023. But we are not stopping there. We will also be discussing what is on the cusp of revolutionizing the world as we know it. Basically, we're attempting to show that you don't need to travel to Davos on an all-expenses trip to provide tech insights to a general audience. That's why we're here. To share insights, I am joined by our panel of chief technologists. We welcome back Kieran Newsham, CT for security, Tal Gandam, CT for hybrid infrastructure and data, Thomas Rowley, CT for networking and connectivity, and the leader of the illustrious pack, Adam Harding, CT for digital workspace. Welcome back to everyone. Hello. Hey. Hi, Dean. Hello, Dean. Hello. Hello, Dean. Hello, Dean. Good morning. <laughs> Choose one. <laughs> Choose, yeah, big, big whichever one. Hello, Dean. Yeah. No, too much, too much. <laughs> too over familiar. Hello, Dean. Oh, there we go. <laughs> We're going, going to Dick Van Dyke mode. <laughs> so let's, let's kick off the first question. So the, the tech hiring boom, we've seen a lot on, on the news recently, um, and I'm sure you know it's something our listeners are going to be interested in. The COVID hiring sort of explosion that we saw, suddenly big tech companies are making or appearing to make mass layoffs. What, what do we think about that? What's, what's, what's our views on why that's happening? Uh, why it's happening? I think, I think you kind of touched on it in the question, really, Dean. I think that um, during the pandemic, everybody thought that tech was certainly one of the answers, and it, and it certainly was. And the vendors out there, whether it be AWS, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be a, a Citrix, all lent in and tried to make hay where the sun was shining. And I think they over-recruited. They certainly, I mean, I think they probably overpaid as well um, to a large extent. And then now as the, as the world's found a new rhythm and, you know, we're not back to the way things used to be, but there's a new balance. I think tech companies are struggling to find the kind of growth that they found during that, during that spurt. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's a lack of kind of sustained growth in like the models that they've adopted, isn't there? And I think for a lot of tech companies, they rely on venture capitalist funding. And normally it's a race to get recognized and then acquired, or it's a race to IPO, right? And I think from a fi- put my finance hat on, right, which is a very small hat from a cyber guy, to be honest with you, <laughs> that's not particularly sustainable from a ledger perspective is it from a PL. so i think a lot of them obviously have tried very hard to either get acquired or float such has been the model probably for the last eight years maybe and i don't think that's proved to be particularly viable they haven't had that sustained growth since covid19 therefore they've had to lay off a lot of stuff yeah so you've got that startup mentality which you're describing you've got the big massive tech companies out there so what you're saying between both of you there is that there's this challenge for both of those areas to maintain, retain, and essentially hire and 
do what you need to do with your staff. So how do you see that playing out? Are we going to, do you think there's going to be more of that going on or do you think it's going to kind of subside and level off? I just think it's it's a new phase for tech companies. Technical companies have been slightly recession proof, to be honest, up until this point, because the idea was if you're in a hole, then what you have to do is invest in technology that will give you a competitive advantage over your peers and will give you the edge and you'll be the, you'll be the victor in the end. And that's great when you're in a growth phase because there's new customers and new logos to go for. But at the point now where I'm not saying that everybody that that's ever going to use AWS or Microsoft or whoever or Salesforce or whoever has already got it. But generally speaking, you've already done that, that big growth phase where the net new logos are at a point where now your growth comes from getting those existing companies to buy more. That is very difficult in a time of recession where everybody's having to wash the pennies. Um, and I just feel like this is probably the first period where the tech companies haven't been recession proof. And they have had to do the same thing that all of the large uh, organizations have done and cut their cost base at points like this. And it's pretty similar in other industries that they cut the, the cost base by 10 to 20%. So it's horrible to see people losing their jobs and it's horrible that it's happening, but it's almost a necessary evil when you're an established industry. The other one thing I would, I would add, which is kind of plays off Kieran's point, is the market caps of these companies, whether they were startups or whether they were um, established vendors, was all about growth. People were looking at the price to earning ratios of, of 30, 40, 50 times in some in some respects. That's no longer what the investors are looking for. They're looking for companies that are profitable and make money here and now. So to try and maintain the profitability figures, they have to do the same as everybody else and control their operational costs. And unfortunately, people's just such a massive, massive contributing factor to that. And, and if I was going to add to that and... We all know we're going through a, a cost of living crisis, right? And one of the biggest costs there is is energy. And we talk about these large IT organizations, the hyperscalers who have large presence in very, very large data centers. The cost of running that data center has also surely skyrocketed. You know, people's bills at home have gone times four for many organizations and many people. Surely that must be a contributing factor here to them looking to cut costs. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, if you're scaling out your customers, you have to scale out your platform, right? So that's totally in support of your point, mate. I think most of these tech companies rely on annual recurring revenue. So it's software-based. And I think fundamentally what they're doing is they're kind of doubling down on securing that annual recurring revenue. You can't really afford to churn customers in order to be profitable with an ARR model, right? Um, so I think to that point, you have to be profitable in the traditional sense rather than like what they're probably used to doing recently, which is plowing loads of money into tech, uh, which they need a lot of staff to kind of go and implement, plan, project that out. And now that's they don't need that. And the knock-on effect of that is, is obviously in those other traditional areas like sales as well, there'll be a large reduction in staff. Yeah, and, and that's, that was the one last thing I kind of wanted to, to put on this Kieran, was um, when you look at where they're cutting costs, uh, it's actually the types of areas where they know the rest of the channel is stood up and ready to take the load. So unfortunately, it is our colleagues that, that, that are in the pre-sales engineering roles, it's the sales roles, it's that frontline stuff where we as the channel have got 
huge amounts of uh, resources to to prop those vendors up whilst they're whilst they're running lean. And just 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 one final thought on that, really. I think there is a possible possibility that this could be a double-edged sword. As well as them kind of looking to cut costs, you know, we've seen significant vendor price increases over the last two years, um, time after time. You know, do we think, I guess, as a group, that that's probably going to be a double-edged sword where the cost for those subscriptions, those those services that we're paying for those organisations are also expected to continue to increase as well? Yes. In short. Mm, I agree. Yeah, and I think we're we're kind of already starting to see that, aren't we? In terms of reserve the right to increase price based on what you're consuming and how you're consuming it. So I think there that is going to be a trend, and I suppose that comes down to you know I think you're right. It's it's a shame we're talking about this subject, and, and this is a you know a tech predictions episode, but fundamentally, you know, this is stuff that I'm not sure if anybody could have seen that the scale of what we're seeing, um, and so. I suppose there's a responsibility for organizations like ours to kind of help customers navigate some choppy waters if they feel that they're not getting that level of support from ultimately the vendors and we're there to support those vendors as well. So so just to put it out there, you know, predict your technology. We're, we're, we're a company that, that supports our customers. But um, let's move on to predicting technologies. Um, so last year, at the end of last year, we did an episode where we talked about, where we predict your tech. You know, we had these 60 second snippets and it wasn't long enough really for you to kind of elaborate. So today's a, 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 an opportunity for you to elaborate slightly. So we'll pick up a few themes if I can, and we'll start with, well, let's start with security, Kieran, if we can. Let's do that. So the immediate themes we're seeing in that security landscape, we talked about that increasing threat landscape. It's happening, it's continuing, but the platforms are vast now, you know, multi-cloud and we're going into the new world of like metaverses, et cetera. So what's your thoughts on how that's going to evolve over the coming year? Yeah, I need to be careful here because I think something that we do really well in cybersecurity is, is FUD or fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I think what that boils down to is, yeah, look, we know there's loads of advanced threats, and there's lots of people that are willing to use those advanced threats against organizations, and us personally as well, right? But I think it would probably be more prudent to concentrate on the things that we can do to prevent that. Uh, I mentioned a few things last time in and around identity and credentials. I expect us to adopt shall we say, more resilient stances on identity and credentials in the next kind of 12 months. And what I mean by that is, yes, I think we'll have more organizations and people want to take advantage of things like passwordless technology. They still need securing, like you would do traditional credentials, whether that be biometric or not. You need to secure the algorithm that actually processes and records those biometrics. Standard stuff like encryption will do that. You still need to use multi-factor authentication. So you need to be using other forms of an identifying factor than just biometrics, for example. We've seen threat actors use different methods to get around multi-factor authentication, such as MFA bombing and things like that, number matching. There's quite a few things. I think we're still just talking about credentials there. So that's a very simple topic. I don't think that's necessarily cutting edge, but I think we've been quite poor at the way we manage and secure our credentials and then proliferate the access of those credentials as well, right, to our users. So it's the classic kind of privilege access management principles of just enough access at just the right time. I think when it comes to the other things that we're particularly bad at that would just help us immeasurably, vulnerability, 
and patching is another one of those things. So it's less assets as well. I think it's less around technology that's going to improve our so maybe there's a draw actually in cybersecurity of us focusing less on technology and more about how we use, implement, and provide sort of governance around that. And I think the messaging this year for me should be around, well, one word centrally, which supports another word. The supporting word that we're used to using a lot of in cybersecurity, and especially in the, in the exec level, CISOs, directors, and C-level will be used to using is risk. So we use risk in the cybersecurity world to go, hey, we have high levels of risk. We want to mitigate this risk. Usually people want to lower risk. That's actually a, diff- that's a lot harder to do. But we use that, that word to get funding in order to do that sort of thing and to secure our organizations from cyber threats. And I think the word we probably should be using or focusing on this year to support that is resilience. So. We've adopted a a mentality in cyber over the last couple of years of it's a question of when, not if, and we've assumed breach posture. That's what we call it, assume breach. But we've actually been really bad at translating that operationally. So I think the focus should be how do we make ourselves more resilient? Yes, we can buy technology. More than likely, we need to implement better process and policy and test it regularly i think it was mike tyson that said all plans go to waste when you get punched in the face and cybersecurity that's very much the case we we put a lot of controls in place endpoint controls cloud controls monitoring controls detection controls you could buy at least 50 products for a, a medium to large enterprise bit size business on cybersecurity right now but we we rarely have a plan that we test thoroughly, that is resilient, I hate that word again, that actually makes a difference when we get breached. Because like we said, like I just said, it's, it's a question of when, not if. I don't think we're good at enacting that. So that, that's my thoughts for the next 12 months. I know it's not particularly technology related, Dean, I apologize. But generally, <laughs> I, I, it, it should be around consolidating on the things that we're tradi- we know we're traditionally really bad at in cyber. And if we adopt that new mentality and actually enact it, it will make a large difference. And I think we'll see a common theme as we go through today. And I'm obviously assuming now, based on what others are going to be talking about, but that operational resiliency, the, the, the processes associated. People have bought a lot of stuff, a lot of tech over the last few years, believing they will solve problems. Um, and actually, as, as you said, I think there, it's about how do you switch those things on to ensure you're getting the best out of those things. There's a lot of technology out there that will do the job, but are your people, are your processes, standard stuff, up to speed to be able to manage and look after those things? And as you say, respond in a proactive way so it makes you more resilient. Good good stuff, love that. Um, and actually from that, we'll come on to probably networking and connectivity, actually, because I think there's is, is similar themes, I guess, around networking and connectivity. You know, everybody's got networks, everybody's connected, but are they doing those things in the right way? And what, what, what what's the future of that or the immediate future of that? Tom, I'll hand over to you. Sure. So I think we've seen a lot of change over the past three years. We've seen a combination of people moving to a hybrid working model. That combined with the adoption of SaaS solutions and public cloud has meant for many organizations over the past three years, the internet has essentially started to become 
what is deemed as their new network. And I think many of these organisations have looked to adopt SD-WAN technologies to regain that visibility and control of that internet-bound traffic to SaaS applications and public clouds from a hybrid working diverse uh, environment. Now, as good as SD-WAN is, I think that, yes, there's a lot of benefits it can bring. However, I'd also say that I think we're going to start to see that become very commoditized over the next 12 months. It's going to become a default for many organizations as part of their technology stack. And I think the question that we have to start asking ourselves is, is it a plaster for a bigger problem or, or bigger opportunity, really, for us as organizations to look at how do we actually look to re-architect our wide area networks? Some of the technologies that we're starting to see customers talk about in this space are Cloud Connect technologies. So this is where essentially we're starting to extend the perimeter of our networks right out to where our CSPs, our cloud service providers actually reside be that in a data center or a a private WAN service that may be provided by one of your main carriers. Now, there's a lot of benefits that looking at that kind of an architecture can bring, right? It essentially means that we're creating a wide area network, which again, isn't reliant on the internet. It means that you've got a private wide area network traversing a private global backbone. This can bring in benefits such as ultra low latency, much more predictable paths for your traffic to take, because that's one of the big big problems in the internet. Even though I can put SD1 over the top of it, it doesn't guarantee my latency. It doesn't guarantee my traffic is going to take the same path as it gets from point A to point B. So that's a big part of it. The other part of it, though, apart from just having a private network, I can just put traffic over layer two really quickly, is actually the other controls that you can start to introduce at that point. Many organizations, if they operate in AWS, Azure, GCP, they've probably got things like a a virtual firewall sat in front of each of those environments. When we create this platform for a private one, it allows us to start to centralize a lot of these controls, such as centralized firewalling. So it allows me to get to a point where the perimeter of my network is extended right out to living in those data centers next to those cloud service providers. And I can have a centralized firewall, centralized policy for both my on-premise users, for my cloud environments. And that can also, as you'd probably guess, start to bring down cost reduction. Another point I'd make around cost reduction is as we start to see people continue to adopt those public clouds, one of the biggest costs is that data egress cost from public clouds, taking that data out and over the internet compared to the cost of taking that into a private one network, we can see the cost reduction of egress by up to 30%. So for those organizations who are looking at that cloud first strategy, everything's going in the cloud moving forwards. Absolutely. How do we think about we change our architecture to meet our longer strategic goals, reduce costs at the same time, also centralizing some of our functions to reduce that operational efficiency. So there's lots of different ways that you can look at it. But ultimately, for me, the, the the kind of bigger one here is standardizing how we do our one architecture moving forwards rather than kind of taking the approach, which I think some people are of sd one's going to fix all our problems. It may fix your problems immediately, but does it meet that long-term strategy for your organization? Okay, so we're going to be talking about the platforms and the user in a second, because obviously those two areas are the probably the largest place of transformation in terms of apps data and how users log in and access their stuff. But what we're talking about here with security and connectivity, are we talking true, almost revolution as opposed to evolution of stuff? Yeah, I'd say so in many ways. I think 
Kieran, it'd be good for you to comment around this, but for me in the world of networking connectivity, I think what we're seeing is what was the traditional headquarters with an on-premise data center is now very much starting to be seen as just another branch. All of our controls, our need to have scalability, our need for centralization is coming from having a centralized one architecture. And there are also benefits, which I'll pass over to Kieran to talk about around having those centralized controls in the world of security. Yeah, sure. I think I think that driver, of course, is the changing a lot of things, right? It's actually probably led by digital workspace, to be honest with you. So the change in ways of working, where people are working, how employers want their employees to work. I don't think security is necessarily a driver for that. I think the technologies have come about because of vision from vendors on how people are changing to adapt to those ways of working. And those technologies then become quite attractive to implement because, as Tom said, a lot of it's to do with centralization, visualization, one dashboard type stuff. And then you can apply policy um, and overall actually impact on the user experience less. So it's so it's actually better. I think that's generally what it is. I see from a technology perspective in cyber in the next 12 months, I see very little in terms of, wow, yeah, that's a revolutionary security piece of technology, right? I think we have a lot of concepts, like I mentioned in the last episode, that are going to become quite interesting. I think we talked a little bit about blockchain and the ledger capabilities. We talked about ChatGPT, didn't we? And and uh, yep. AI and interpreted text and speech. I mentioned deep fakes and stuff. That is true. They're all kind of that, I want to say, bleeding edge type of tech that we need to be aware of. And they definitely are going to form the next few years ahead of us. But I think the what's right in front of our nose at the moment, what's the end of our nose is, it's less revolution, more about evolution of the stuff we've probably already invested quite a lot of money and time and effort into in the last like three or four years. 100%, right? And and I guess to, to add on to that, going back to that Cloud Connect solution, rather than a, a revolution and evolution, right? Many of us today, as a good example of this, have things like uh, direct connects or express route connections to reach those public clouds. It's not that we're saying don't go to public cloud anymore. It's about saying, how do we change the way that we actually get there? So again, in the world of Cloud Connect solutions, having a centralized point where you can break out to GCP, AWS, uh, and Azure, it starts to bring around a lot of agility for organizations. One, to move things like workloads from one cloud to the next, but also for starting to connect clouds together. And that is something that we are starting to see a lot more from from the customers we work with is we want to connect our clouds together now rather than have them as individual silos or islands uh, that we operate with. Okay, so we'll finish off there. We'll, we'll do a summary at the end, but that's all interesting and fascinating stuff. And I think, as you say, there's an immediate requirement to ensure that organizations are getting value out of what they're already invested in and bringing those things together from an architecture perspective. To, to and, and there are new things. I think, Kieran, you mentioned those things that are going quick, you know, chat, GPT, the speed of which that suddenly has been adopted by essentially a wide audience, I think has surprised us because we were talking about it before, you know, before the new, in, in at the end of last year. But you can see how quick something that resonates can get taken on and adopted. And that brings a load of challenges in itself. And there's obviously going to be a wave of technologies, I think, over the next few years where we'll see that similar situation. Um, but that brings me on to, you know, the hybrid world, the hybrid 
clouds, the hybrid infrastructures, the the data stuff. Tal, to you, if I may, everything that's been talked about before and where you see things going, are you seeing a similar thing where organizations are already in multiple platforms, they're already kind of dipping in to these areas and, and, and bringing that back into some sort of centralized operational governance and control? Do you think that's kind of what you're seeing as well in terms of the hybrid world? Yeah, we definitely are. And, and I think going back to your theme of um, people have already invested in technologies, people have already invested in infrastructures or in clouds, or, or so they're now trying to get the best out of those best out of those clouds. And and, and yeah, we, we are definitely seeing that shift from what do I buy to what have I got and how do I make the most out of it. Um, interestingly, going back to your point at the beginning about the layoffs, maybe everyone's looked at. Elon Musk running Twitter with 50 people now and thinking, <laughs> well, I don't need 10,000 people to run a platform and maybe they're all doing the same thing now. So so maybe he's the inspiration for, for all of this. But uh, but yeah, I think um, certainly on the um, on, on what we're seeing is, I mean, infrastructure is still important. And I think, uh, I think Tom mentioned earlier around that sustainability thing. And it is important. It's really important now for customers where they put in their data, where they put in their infrastructure, how they're running it the cost on doing that and uh, we're only seeing more and more conversations now for customers saying what's the most efficient place for me to run my workloads and all my applications or what's the cost of running it here or running it there and i think as a as a partner we're really well set up to help customers on that journey and help them with that decision making i think that's true value add from our point of view to help them understand what the actual cost of them running their their, their workloads are and do you think that's becoming more kind of targeted before sort of trying? Because, I mean, I think what we've seen over the last few years, people have just gone, in some cases, pretty hard into some of the hyperscalers, as you know, the public cloud providers. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly, uh, is it fair, and, fair, fair to say that some of those uh, bill shocks are surprised essentially of what it's ending up costing uh, against true value is being essentially, it's, it's under more of a microscope. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, definitely under more of a microscope. And it's not only the microscope of, of the cost, it's also the microscope of how expensive it is to do this in terms of carbon footprints and things like that. So it's, it's, it's both. It's, it's, it's the money going out of the business, but it's also the cost of, of, off to, to the environment, which is obviously something we're all looking at doing as well. So you know, you, we, we've got more and more people from um, sustainability departments being involved in RFPs and RFIs on, on, on new kit being bought because they want to know what is the impact to us as a business if we go and buy all of this kit and run it here or we go and consume this kit in the hyperscaler, how does that affect our, our overall uh, net zero targets that we're trying to do? So on both sides of the spectrum, it's really important. I think this is part of a larger move as well when we're looking at the cost side of things for organizations to start to become more cloud agnostic. Organizations very much looking for the best cloud for a given application, be that based on application frameworks or cost-driven, tell as you were talking about just then. But I think a big part of it as well is remaining cloud cloud agile. And what we're starting to see here as well is, is, is newer technologies starting to come out to the market, which are actually operating as a single abstracted layer across multi-cloud environments, which can orchestrate tooling, that native tooling within AWS, Azure, GCP, Oracle, and also start to give really interesting insights where they've actually tapped into to these hyperscalers price books and can make proactive recommendations to say, actually, if you move this workload from Azure into AWS, you're going to reduce latency and possibly also reduce your costs. So I think that is definitely on the data side of it, 
linking it into the networking world, 100% um, being cloud, cloud agile is a, is a big driver there. And the biggest challenge is, to, is still reporting it, is still knowing what your end-to-end cost of it is. And I think that's probably the opportunity that will start coming out with the cloud providers or the infrastructure providers is to be able to just do the end-to-end reporting of running it from here to there is costing us this much for this, this much time. And so if you're connecting multiple platforms, multi-clouds, and you're having to secure those with these kind of centralized models, you know, single software platforms that can look at all of those areas and ingest and present back context. In addition to that and overlaying that, do we think that things like marketplace and how you then buy technologies becomes an important part of an organization's procurement process? Because obviously now, you know, everything, a lot of it's software, right? It's just available. So do you think the marketplace world in terms of where you buy that software and obviously those those marketplaces being available from those hyperscalers now, do you think that is on the increase and do you think that's going to continue to increase? I think, Dean, really good point. More and more stuff is moving to software, right? We're moving more and more away from that hardware-based world. I think marketplace has a huge part to play in that. It's an easy route to market, easy for your organizations to understand what uh, different vendors can kind of bring to market. I also think, though, on the other hand, you have got a lot of organizations out there who have probably overcommitted to their cloud spend. And the marketplaces are actually providing a route for them to use that excess spend that they've had there is essentially burned down to spend on some of these other vendor solutions that live in marketplace. But yeah, just to make that that connection, really, I think there's there's more than just one way to spend on marketplace outside of your uh, your traditional CSP subscriptions. Yeah, and we've always seen I traditional IT and businesses follow the trend of how people are consuming IT in their in their day to day lives, and I think how people consume apps on devices, you're just going to see people wanting to consume their IT in the same way, and if you can just go into a marketplace and download some software and have it running within within 10 minutes rather than having to go through a long procurement process and then have license keys sent to you by email or by post and whatever it is, it's a turnoff for people. And I think that will only continue as our personal lives. You, know, you, you consume IT in such an easy manner. Cool. Okay. Well, let's move on then. So we talked about the platforms and multi-cloud and securing connecting those things. Let's move on to the user. So the the end user, which is kind of where a lot of us sit and a lot of you know our customers sit. What's that looking like from a, a an immediate perspective and obviously um, a long term perspective, Mister Harding? I think the future looks pretty bright from the perspective of us all as end users. Um, there is an, a, an obsession on from around the world, I would say, really, about trying to ensure that there's marginal gains all day, every day, everywhere for everybody, whether that be in the way your applications work, whether that be in the devices you're you're using, whether that be in the, the security steps you have to follow to get there, whether that be in the way we're all connected together to the right resources at the right time, or be that in the way that we're given access to the data we need to make the right decisions when, when we need to make them. And I feel like the most obvious thing that will change over the next year is for organizations to actually get a handle on measuring user experience. How do I understand what it feels like to be a user of the services we're providing? So we're seeing a big rise in the digital experience monitoring or digital experience management. It's not really, we're not really set on the term yet. DEX arena. Um, 
where people are trying to put monitoring tools in place that really take um, their cues from the perspective of the user um, so that you can look at every single link in the chain to support that wider observability story that does factor in networking and does factor in security and does factor in infrastructure and does factor in customer uh, experience as well so yeah so i see i see that being a big area for improvement it will be really useful for people to be able to see i mean i'm currently working in my shed recording this podcast to be really useful for people to be able to see if i'm having challenges or difficulty with my applications my device uh, with my wireless access point that's in the shed with the router that's going out the door with the with the broadband or the connectivity or whatever it is up to the SaaS platform, IaaS platform, PaaS platform, or back to the data center for uh, internal web apps um, and be able to do rapid root cause analysis, or maybe even where I'd like to see maybe the year after or the year after that is a, is a start to move towards things like AI ops in workspace, whereby we're putting machine learning on devices to, to start measuring the um, the the uh, I suppose the 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 vital signs of the environment, rather than the world we're in at the moment, where essentially we use lots of synthetic uh, tools to um, spot a problem as soon as it's happened and then try and fix it really quickly. Moving towards an AI ops model, whereby we monitor the vital signs of our environment, we look at the equivalent of their blood pressure and the oxygen levels, and we start to see when things are starting to go wrong when cash is starting to fill up or whatever it might be and we create ourselves a little window of time to be truly preemptive to actually shift all the way off the front end of the of the help desk and fix challenges and problems before they actually take effect so yeah those are the types of things that i think people are going to continue to invest in moving forwards it's everywhere all at once Exactly. It is, it is everywhere. And, 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 and people are working everywhere, logging in everywhere and all of those things that we, we, we've talked about previously, and I'm sure will only continue to evolve. So, and you mentioned there AI. I mean, obviously we're hearing yeah. a lot more about AI, you know, the intelligence that comes with, um, with, you know, the artificial intelligence world. And I think that is touching upon all the areas you've talked about using AI on the back end in security, in networking and connectivity, in the, the digital platforms and certainly the data space that uh, we've not talked about a lot today, but we know that's how data and being able to get value and, and extract that out from, from, a, from a, a business perspective is becoming more relevant. And, and what you've just said there is, you know, around the end user, that AI ops piece really becoming a bit more responsive in a proactive way to what's actually happening. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, and I think that, I think that you know, I think we'll see that being a big thing over the next twelve to eighteen months. That evolving, that whole AI landscape behind everything we're talking about. The difference, really, between this month and last month, when we had the conversation about uh, kind of tech that might be on the horizon, is the rapid rise of ChatGPT. We might as well have a quick chat about it because it's spooky and it's interesting. And Kieran's here, and he can tell us how dangerous it is. Um, so I think, that, I think that I've already started to see customers leaning in and asking well, you know what are the benefits of this type of thing now let's not kid ourselves versions of this have been available for quite a while however you had to do more of the legwork to get them set up to give them the training data to to get them going but um yeah customers are definitely asking you know what is the benefits of ai chatbots for businesses you know can, can we use it to improve customer experience can we use it to do data analysis can we use it to personalize the user experience internally can we use it to personalize marketing and customer experience externally there's so much there's so much there but then there's also the negative sides the sides they're worried about you know in an era where actually 
the unions are more prevalent than they've been for a long time. There's a lot of concern about things like job displacement that it could cause. Um, as much as it can be helpful, it could easily take over some jobs that currently exist. And then there's a lot of the old school stuff we've been struggling with for a while with this, such as biases and how do we make sure that there's there's not a, the potential for chatbots to perpetrate the um, the biases that we're trying to drive out of society? So yeah, loads there's loads to discuss there. Well, we've seen some examples of education recently, haven't we? Where they're they're putting in basically answering exam questions, putting it into chat GBT and getting responses at a you know percentage of accuracy that could then be used. Are you telling me you <laughs> wouldn't have given that a go? I mean, oh, honestly, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent, right? And and alongside the rise of Chat GPT, we're also starting to see the technologies which are trying to identify what has been AI generated. Dean, you touched on it there. Hundred percent in the world of education, there is investment going in heavy at the moment for essentially exam markers, essay markers, to be able to put a piece of text through it and say, yes, was this generated by AI? Or was, or was it not? Adam, also to your point earlier, yes, absolutely, bias is one side of this. The other part of it is guaranteeing the accuracy of the response that actually comes back out of the, those AI engines, right? You can't take that as guaranteed truth or guaranteed that's the interpretation that I've taken of the question that you've asked. So there are a lot of things in there to unpack. Um, but yeah, 100%, that, that that piece around people using it to generate their work for them, I think calls to that bigger picture of what job displacement is AI going to actually take place on? I think there's loads of ethics like you tend to get with things that are just come to the fore or bleeding edge. Um, so basically the technology happens and then we catch up with the ethics committee later, right? That's normally, normally how it goes in our world, isn't it? There's no guardrails. It's not regulated, but it will be. How do you make the AI the system that ChatGPT sits behind, how do you make that like transparent and explainable? How do you incorporate stuff like diversity, equality, and inclusion? How do you monitor the systems, the actual AI systems again on the back end to determine if they've been hacked or if they've been compromised? How do you make sure the regulation catches up with how they're actually developed? So. There has to be some sort of law and regulation around it. I think that the biggest thing for me, though, is how is it even obtained the information that, it, that, that you can train the AI with? Because at the end of the day, that information has to be gathered in order to train the AI model in the first place. So how does it get that? Because I could, I could chat about all of the scary stuff. I could, I could go into FUD, right? I could go pure cyber FUD on this. But I think we all know that, yes, you could use ChatGPT to generate phishing emails. Yes, you can use it to cheat on your homework. The nefarious uses of ChatGPT are probably endless, really. Ironically, that's probably what our eyes are drawn to more than the, the, the good use of it. But yeah, that's my take on it. I think sometimes a good comparison there, right? Like I, I touched on that bit, Kieran, you're talking about where does the information come from? To bring that kind of back to an everyday example... How many times have you had like a health symptom or something like that where you've gone to Google and you've typed it in and it said, right, you've got 30 days left. That's it, right? But the reality <laughs> is that everyone knows if you've got symptoms and you're worried about it, you go speak to your doctor because they're actually going to give you a truth from the source 
based on all of the conditions and everything else they should be assessing at the same time. So that source of truth, like 100%, I see that as also being a risk when we look at these kind of technologies. A, a, lot, of, a lot of it's about, um, is the information accurate and is it fair? And I think that thing one, I tried to use it the other day for, for a, some kind of predictions thing, but it's only up to, up to date as to 2021, so it's rubbish for us. So we've had to do our own homework for this podcast. That was disappointing. Um, We're all keeping our jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, led me to, which led me to think, too, what is it good for? I was like, okay, well, it's kind of a good alternative to it's Google with some context. It gives you the answer you search for, and it slightly explains it to you. And I was like, well, what is it not good for? And I was th- I thought, well, maybe it's not good for true creativity, truly the next step stuff. And then I asked myself a, a simple question. When was the last time I ever had an, I actually had an original thought? Oh, that's a, that's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It does mirror what companies are doing with data in general. So if you look at a lot of companies, they create data They'll have a data scientist team that's collecting and organizing and adding the context and they're using the AI then to do the presentation of it. And I think that's all chat GPT is at the end of the day, really, isn't it? Data has been gathered from humans, from people, and then it's then using the AI to then present it back to us, um, how we ask it. This is a podcast in itself talking about you know, uh, chat AI engines. So um, I am going to do what all good hosts do and say that is time. And we're going to follow this tech predictions episode up with uh, an episode on that subject without a doubt. So listen, I want to thank you all for joining me today. Fascinating stuff. You know, if we look at what's going on immediately, it is around operational excellence. It's about cost management. It's about end user experience. It's about connecting and securing all those things together. And I think from my takeaway, you know, we aren't looking at absolute revolutionary technology, although those things are happening to the chat GPT point. But we are looking at evolution in our customer base, which is a responsibility for all of us to ensure that we're helping to meet those objectives, as well as obviously managing um, our customers' expectations of all these tech layoffs that are happening. So, um, so wh- whatever we can do to help you as customers, that's why we're here. This is Soft Cats Explain It podcast. This is the first one to the new season, season six. If you want to listen to previous seasons, they're all available. But going forward, we will have more episodes about these subjects. Thank you for joining us today and good luck for the rest of the year. Bye.